0: Blenders, on this week's show, we break down the Oscar nominations and review Zack Snyder's Justice League.
1: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads,
2: buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now
1: at
0: Hero.co. Hello, Blenders, and welcome. Welcome to episode number 157 of Real Blend, a podcast I can't believe the Oscars snubbed Zack Snyder's Justice League. My name is Sean O'Connell, the managing editor here at Cinema Blend, uh, and this week's show is going to be all about two main topics— Oscar nominations, what they got right, what they got wrong, who is on the inside getting ready to celebrate, and who is on the outside looking in. And we are finally able to discuss Zack Snyder's Justice League. I don't know if you guys have heard about this yet, but um, there's a Snyder cut of Justice League, and it's coming to HBO Max on March 18th. And don't look now, but all three of us uh, have seen it. And by that, I mean... Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Hi, Jakey. How are you?
1: We got to skip my intro really quickly because Kevin has his hand raised and has something very exciting to say. And I'm very curious as to what he
0: has to say. Kevin well, McCarthy, not... Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Hi, Kev. How are you? It's
1: not exciting. I just
3: did this in my head just now. Mathematically, uh, between the three of us, yes. we, <laughs> have, we, we have spent over 32 hours watching yeah. the new Snyder Cut. I That's only a... watched it twice. Right? Okay. So you're eight. I'm yeah. 12. Yes. And Sean's
0: 12. I'm three. Yeah, I watched it three times.
3: So 12 12 Gabe eight. what do you got?
0: I have yet to see it. <laughs>
4: but I mean, <laughs> think about it. That means the, that means us three, the, <laughs> the,
3: the the co-hosts of the show yeah. have have spent 32 hours collectively, yeah, watching Zack Snyder's Justice League. And to clarify, I consider Gabe a co-host as well, but he hasn't yes. seen it, so I'm just saying
1: us three at the moment. Gabe, oh. why do you hate Zack Snyder? There's just
4: uh, you know, it's something. Is there something about him? I just don't. I can't stand. You know.
0: What if he shot him in <laughs> black and <laughs> white? He'll be very yeah. careful. He get taken out of he's, he's joking.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of course.
0: Uh, let's see. What are we talking about? Let's on this week's episode. Oh, I did that already. Uh, Housekeeping. If you're watching us on YouTube, uh, thank you so much for paying attention to the video aspect of the show. Uh, go down and hit subscribe. Turn on your notifications. And every time we drop a new. Interview and show on the channel. You guys will be the first ones to come over and watch it. If you are listening to us where you get your podcast needs met, make sure you hit the description. It'll tell you how to head over to the YouTube channel and to give us a subscription over there. If you want to subscribe to our Real Blend Premium, where you get an additional episode of the show delivered to your podcast uh, servers on Mondays, you go to bit.ly backslash Real Blend Premium and sign up. We have a lot of really fun topics I mean, games that we play with or over email there. Or sexier- website by now don't bring that up please is it, I, thought, I thought that was a whole
1: bit is that we we're had, getting we had...
0: we're getting chastised by listeners for telling us that they don't like me hearing me say bit.ly <laughs> backslash real <Blend> premium <laughs> but i will say that there's a plan in place to uh address this because it is it's like a tiny it's, url it's gonna be it's bit.ly forward slash at least i'm not doing like http colon. <laughs> because that would be confusing. So anyway, we'll work on getting to that. This week's uh, weekly poll, we asked you guys, how do you plan to watch Zack Snyder's Justice League? And we gave you three options, knowing that this is coming to HBO Max streaming service on, uh, I can, I think I can announce it. It's arriving at 12.01 a.m. Uh, on th- on the 18th of Thursday. So you'll be able to uh, to dive right into it. It's going to be, we gave you one four hour sitting, uh, whether you're going to watch it in stages or I'm not watching it, Kevin, which of those three do you think won the weekly poll from our, our viewers?
3: More viewers, one sitting, I would hope. I, I mean, I'm really hoping that that our our list. I say viewers, our listeners said one sitting. Now I will say this. I understand. I, I and I've seen Snyder say this too he even recommends like you know the chapters are out there you could pause it if you want to get your popcorn i've heard him say that in but interviews. interview i consider so.
1: that to be one sitting like like i like i i it's four hours you know in between maybe chapters two and three like mm. i you know the title card comes up i would pause it and go get a drink or pause yeah. it and run to the restroom that i counts. consider that i still consider that to be if you watch the four hour movie within four and a half hours oh, i yeah. consider Move.
3: that to be one sitting so mm-hmm. we're considering one sitting as if you play it, and then yeah, bathroom breaks, things like yeah, that. Yeah, I think the yeah. I think the differentiating element here is if you watch three chapters, go to sleep, and then wake back up yes, the next yes, day. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna assume that our listeners said one set, uh, sitting, and as someone, and again, I don't say this to brag, but we uh, I've been lucky enough to watch the film multiple times. It goes by so quickly; it really does. Uh, as you watch it more and more, because you just really because do- the first time you're watching it, we'll get into the review in a second is really, it, it, it's an experience because it's such a big deal that it's yeah. being released yeah. that you're, you can't wrap your mind around the fact that you're actually watching the Snyder Cut yet. Yeah. So, like, the first and second and third time are very different viewing experiences. So, if for anybody out there listening, I highly recommend multiple viewings and trying to watch it in one sitting if you can.
0: So, 71% said one four-hour sitting. Yeah. Uh, 16% said they're going to do it in stages. And 12% of people listening to the Real Blind Podcast said that they are not choosing to watch. That's Zack just our Justice League. Pretty probably is. Yes. He voted multiple times from from fake accounts, accounts. Okay. <laughs> we are Kevin going Flaggy. to get to uh <laughs> We're going to get to uh our full breakdown of Zack Snyder's Justice League in a little bit. But first and foremost, we are recording this on Monday and earlier this morning the Oscar nominations were announced. I did a piece on uh snubs that you can find on Cinema uh Main page, and I thought that there were a couple of things that stood out, but let me go over to our best picture uh, and best director nominees first and foremost. We ended up with eight best picture nominees. They are the Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomad Land, Promising Young Woman, The Sound of Metal, or Sound of Metal, and the trial of the Chicago Seven, and we had five uh, director nominees. Thomas Vinterberg for another round. David Fincher for Mank. Lee Isaac Chung for Minari. Chloe Zhao, 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 sorry, Zhao. Like, yeah, Chloe Zhao for Nomadland and Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman. Um, the Vinterberg nomination is a total surprise. The lack of Regina King is a total surprise. The lack of Spike Lee is a bit of a surprise. Overall, JK. where really are you? Is it really a
1: surprise, though? Like, did you wake up this morning really thinking there was going to be a lot of Defy Bloods?
0: Yes. yes. Oh, yes,
1: yes. Did oh, you? Yes. I 100% did You, like, you guys up... thought Spike Lee was going to get nominated for Best Director. Maybe not director...
3: Spike for Director. Right, Director was the one that I was, like, iffy about considering how tight the race is. I for sure thought Five Bloods for Picture, and yes. I, was, I was really, really sure on Delroy getting in there because he's been snubbed throughout... Did he get a
1: SAG nomination? I I feel like exactly because he's been snubbed, to me was a sign that he just had no traction. I think it's interesting. You know, we've talked a lot about the whole two, the extra two months uh, that the Academy gave in terms of leeway and what good and what harm that did. I feel like those extra two months did the most harm to Defy Bloods because it put the most distance between when the Academy had to vote and when it came out. And that two months did the most favors for Judas and the Black Messiah, which I think. Very much overperformed, more so than anyone was expecting this sure. morning, compared to where it's been uh, for the uh, the other award shows.
0: Judas and the Black Messiah is a fantastic movie, though. Like oh, I'm it's, legitimately it's thrilled. Yeah, and I, I
1: did not understand why it was not gaining traction in any any of the other awards shows. So I'm very glad to see that it got picture and two supporting actor nominations and a screenplay. Yeah, it's uh, so. It's, it's... Why did Lakeith get supporting? Why why are they they both in? Yeah, they they pushed Warner Brothers' campaign for him to be in. uh, And and granted, to be in Best Actor. Now, granted, sometimes the Academy they they can ultimately do what they want to do. But I'm amazed that enough people decided that he was supporting enough for him to get a nomination over a lot of other people.
3: Am I wrong, or doesn't doesn't the studio submit who they what the the the, nomination? I mean, you
1: the studio says, hey, we would like this person to be considered in this category. Ultimately, the Academy can do whatever they want. I mean, I remember the last time I remember this being a big deal. Uh, Danish Kate, girl. Kate, I was thinking Kate Winslet for uh, The Reader was being put, uh, positioned under Supporting Actress, and they ended up nominating her for Best Actress.
3: See, the way I understood this, and I could be wrong and forgive my ignorance on this, I, I, from what I understood, the studio presents who they want nominated to the Academy, and they choose what category they're presenting that person to be. So uh, uh, you can
1: can campaign for it, but ultimately the Academy can decide. Because also the the Academy also understands sometimes the studios are playing a game, that they are positioning their actors or actresses for the category that sometimes they don't exactly fit in, but best benefits them. So So the Academy has the final say.
0: I saw somebody tweet today, They said that Kaluuya and Lakeith could have actually both gotten votes in the actor category and the supporting actor Mm -hmm. category because people just voted where they thought that they belonged. Yeah. But if they got the majority of the votes for their performances in supporting actor, then, then they went into supporting actor category.
3: I always thought the studio was the one who who, who decided that mm-hmm. when they pushed it to the Academy, because I've always heard stories about like, oh, they're putting this actor in supporting because he doesn't have a chance in lead. So yeah. if you put him in supporting, yeah. they'll have a better chance of either being nominated I mean, they, or but winning. But they're not
1: putting that, they're they're campaigning for him to be, but they're not solidifying him in so a particular, particular. Are you category? saying that, okay.
0: How does that movie not have a leading actor? <laughs> Right,
1: like I mean, because I, I can understand the idea of like a, uh, like a, like a trial of the Chicago 7. Sure. All of those actors were submitted for supporting actor. To me, that makes sense because that is a massive ensemble piece and there is not one leading person.
0: Okay, that's for, fair. For,
1: for Judas, that's Lakeith's story. And Fred Hampton, played by Daniel Kaluuya, is the supporting character. And in my opinion, what do you guys think?
3: Yeah, I, I, I thought Lakeith Stanfield was a lead. Yes, I, I, and I was I was shocked to see him in supporting. Yeah. And apparently, I did not. I, yeah. I for for many years thought the studio was the one who who decided yeah. on what category well, to go Le- into.
4: And Lakeith opens and closes that movie. Sure, like right. it's not very vague. Like he feels yeah. like the the main protagonist.
0: Yeah, interesting. All right. So in general, without getting bogged down in the specifics of them right now, though we will believe me. Uh, are you guys happy with the way things turned out in terms of what got nominated and didn't get nominated?
1: More so than I think I have been in years past. I mean, like there, I'm never gonna. It's never gonna bat a thousand for me. Sure. Um, you know, and, and also you have to. I feel like you have to look at uh, the nominations through the lens of okay, let's be realistic about what was going to happen. You know, mm-hmm. like what I've loved to have seen Tenet to get nominated for Best Picture. Sure, but it wasn't going to happen. Like it. Just, it wasn't. Like so. You have to be. So you can't say I'm unhappy because you know it didn't you know because tenet didn't get a uh, cuz nolan didn't get best director he wasn't he wasn't going to so like, you have to be realistic okay in the grand scheme of what was going to happen today uh, for the most part yeah yeah i would have liked to have seen tenet get a little bit a few more um blow the line technical nominations that would have that, that would have been nice
0: Kev, you are largely critical of the academy uh mm-hmm. and especially the oscars in general where do right. you stand in terms of how you feel about these nominations
3: well at the end of the day they just the The Academy, generally, in my opinion, does not have uh, a pulse on on reality in terms of what people are watching and enjoying. and and I've always said that. I think that today is another example of them just going the route of certain types of Academy films. Um mm-hmm. and I think uh, this could have been an opportunity again to play with action, play with comedy, play with horror. Um, but again, it, you know, the film that's gonna win best Picture is probably gonna be Nomad Land just feels typical for the oscars and again i'm not saying is a bad film but i i just think it's got it's getting to a point where it, it, it's so predictable when you get these nominations um like i feel like when i saw nomadland for the first time I'm like that's going to be nominated for best picture that's going to be nominated for uh, uh not but for actress and i want to get i want us to get out of that mindset i'm so tired of whatever the quote-unquote oscar movie is the nominations today though uh, i think they i think i'm always disappointed in the nominations, but particularly today, Ludwig uh, Gronson not getting nominated for score, Van uh, Hoyteman not getting nominated for cinematography for, for Tenet. Uh, I already knew Tenant wasn't gonna get a Best Picture nomination or Best Director nomination, but those are two uh, categories that the film is completely deserving, no matter whether or not you like the film or not. Um, it is a genuinely brilliant score and a brilliant uh, photographed film. Yeah. Uh, and at the same time, Delroy Lindo's performance, mm. aside from Chadwick, is the best performance of 2020. No question. Like
1: especially um, with that monologue. Like how how do you yeah. how do you look at that monologue and think that's not one of the best five? It doesn't make yeah, any sense. Yeah, and I right. mean
3: like Ch- Chadwick 100% deserves to win and to be nominated. So I'm I'm good on that. I just that's already we already knew he was going to be nominated. We already knew he was going to win. Um but I think with Delroy just being completely left out is just astounding to me and Spike his direction on the Five Bloods is so incredibly uh precise and 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 brilliant and timely and I just couldn't believe that that film wasn't even like looked at. I mean where Newton Thomas Siegel should have been nominated for cinematography for Five Bloods. I mean all the different aspect ratios and the film stock they used. It's just it's astounding to me. But uh no, I'm not one, surprised one reason, by it. Yeah.
0: One reason why I can't get too mad at Actor, though I understand with Delroy, is the five actors that are in there gave really strong performances. I'm not looking at like so. It's Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal, Great terrific performance. performance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, obviously Great. terrific performance. Anthony Hopkins for The Father, outstanding performance. Gary Oldman for Mank, terrific performance. And yeah. Stephen Yen for Minari. Like,
1: I'm not okay, sure. So, I'm not
0: sure who I take out. Yeah, I
1: was saying, Kevin, who do you take out to make room for Delroy or Lindo? Uh, now, I, 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 I watched The I Father, and Hopkins
3: is amazing in The I Father. I take out Oldman. Really? Oh, and you're Oldman? and you're
1: Mr. Mank.
3: <laughs> I love Mank, but I think Fincher's the star of Mank, not Oldman. <laughs>
0: Benji, tr- agreed.
3: Agreed. I feel that way. Uh, but I love Oldman in the movie. But sure. when I walk back, when I walk back from Mank, it's the Fincher experience that I remember. Just the mm-hmm. same thing with
1: Tenet. Tenet is Nolan's movie, not John David Washington's film. Okay. Um,
3: and remember so a few it- years ago
1: when Oldman was like the guy that we couldn't believe has never received an Oscar nomination, right? And now we're like, oh yeah, Gary Oldman got another one.
3: Yeah. Great actor, yeah. one of the greatest of all time. Don't think, don't think his performance in Make is best actor worthy. I think the They're... film is best picture worthy, no question. Best director worthy, no question. Score, of course. Um, but for me, that film is more about the filmmaking.
0: There was a moment during the nominations being announced this morning when they did the first round of them, and Maria Bakalova got in for supporting actress, and Borat got a, a screenplay nomination that I texted in our Slack chain uh, to people at work, I was like, oh my God, Borat is going to get a Best Picture nomination. It should like, have. I mean, literally it looked like thought, it. It really looked yeah, like it. I felt that that was heading in the direction. And that might they have can't... been a little bit of progress, you know, going forward in it's the area too, that Kevin disagrees it's
3: with. It's too funny. It's not, like, again, that's the whole, like, you know, they gave Melissa McCarthy a nomination for Bridesmaids. They're they're throwing out the nomination sometimes just to touch with comedy Borat is too, it's not, could you imagine if the Academy nominated Borat for best picture? I mean, it would well, be an incredible, because uh, the then film is definitely best picture, one of the best When pictures. they
0: came back from the break, and uh, they did a couple of categories, but then they did actor, and the first name announced was Sacha Baron Cohen, and I was like, oh my God, it really is going to happen, but then it was for Trial of the yeah. Chicago 7. <laughs> oh, i have like, like, going right. you guys. Yeah.
1: Speaking of Borat, um, best supporting actress. Yeah. You know, uh, Maria Bakalova won the Critics' Choice Awards. Okay. for Best Supporting Actress. The last 13 actresses to win that award went on to win the Oscar. Does she win the Oscar or does the, does the Academy finally go, Okay, we got to give it to Glenn Close? Because I feel like it's
0: either Glenn Close or Maria Bakalova. Here's the category. Uh, Maria Bakalova for Borat, subsequent movie film, Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy, Olivia Who was Coleman. also nominated for a Razzie, by the way, for Hillbilly Elegy. First off, that movie's awful on every level. But okay, and, but to be fair, she yeah. is good. I, I she, do not like that movie, she, but I thought, I think she's good. I think Glenn Close is She's very good in that movie. I do too. I do too. Mm. Yes. All right. Olivia Colman for The Father, Amanda Seyfried for Mank, and Yujung Yoon for Minari.
1: All five, all five strong performances. Oh, Granted, I want Maria to win, and I'd, I'd like to think that maybe she really does have a shot. I really do. But I, I'm starting to feel like this might really be Glenn Close. And I think she, that this might be the ultimate, like, really? She wins it for that? If Glenn Bakalova Close winning
3: would be, would, 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 would store, restore 0.1% of my faith in the
0: Oscars.
1: But okay, but how do you, don't you guys feel like Glenn Close is probably going to get the, the career Oscar? No, I still I don't, know, I don't feel to win.
0: I think the Academy loves pulling the football away from Glenn Close. <laughs> <laughs> Every time she gets up there. Could you I imagine
3: it, 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 when they announce that award, they go, we have a tie. It's Olivia <laughs> Coleman and Glenn Close and then they go just kidding it's Maria Bakalova
0: because <laughs> didn't,
3: didn't didn't uh, didn't Glenn Coleman close Coleman beat Glenn Coleman. Close for
0: yeah for the the, the wife and, versus uh, the favorite and, but everybody kind of thought that that was going to go to Gaga didn't they at no but no.
1: that, at that point everyone thought it was going to close Glenn Close really yeah no question. Gaga was only was ever going her. to win yeah Gaga was only ever going to win original song that night oh you guys say that now with such
0: certainty no I, no because by that going because, into it
1: what? What? Because because we gave just because the Critics Choice Awards gave thirteen different Best Actress awards that year doesn't make them all for Oscar frontrunners.
0: Well, how does our uh Best uh, Critics Choice line up with the Academy when there's no s- symmetry to that whatsoever? Like them winning our category shouldn't affect anything because we're just broadcast well, film critics who choose that. Last no, year, but, we but gave Once Upon
3: a Time in Hollywood, and yeah, yeah but it it, isn't,
0: isn't that the like the kind of the, the critics choice awards
1: bit is that we 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 pride ourselves upon uh, being the, the prognosticators sure. of the oscars we haven't yeah. been lately and, on, no, and, I, 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 and honestly i like the fact that we were the award show that gave once upon a time in hollywood best picture same
0: yeah and like, this, i take
1: great pride in that i remember this, sean i remember you coming over that night at the show and leaning in and going you're about to be very happy and i just knew i knew what was going to happen and it was the best
0: <laughs> yes. it was the how best did, how did i know
1: because you always find out the award. You always find out the winners. Uh, that's right. I'll try to get I... the winners from
0: you this year and
1: you wouldn't give them to me.
0: Oh, I legit didn't have them this year. I would have told you to prepare for those interviews, yeah. but I legit didn't yeah. have them. Usually I do get the press release. I probably shouldn't say that. That's okay. <laughs> it's out there. Um, What else stood out? Okay. Oh, so I guess I'm, I'm totally resigned to the fact that... That if you are an animated film, you are never going to get into the Best Picture category. Because... Oh wait,
3: Soul didn't get nominated for Best Picture. No, I told no. you guys it wasn't going to get nominated. <laughs> but I know. I mean, but but that... why are we even discussing the show anymore? It's, it's Soul, Soul. Soul is one of the greatest movies of last year. I'm telling you, the Academy needs to be like reset. Like go to hit the reset button and start this yeah. entire thing over again because they they do not know what is what the pulse is in terms of great films i really don't believe they do anymore i'm so i'm just so tired of the freaking oscar movie bit that they do it's just yeah
0: well i was holding out hope because i honestly do think that soul is superior to most other animated features that have contended for best picture like Soul's i think the only than everything everything on that list soul was my number one film of the year so obviously i have a bias toward it but i i thought it had a legitimate shot although it hasn't get it wasn't getting the recognition from other groups leading up to it so you know that that led me to believe that it wasn't going to happen um but it leads me to believe that as long as there is uh an animated category we will never see and i feel bad for pete doctor because i think pete doctor really accomplished something truly incredible uh, with oh he can wipe his movie. tears
1: with all other of his eight oscars <laughs> that he has uh i want
0: to get to the best actress category because it is stacked and i really want to know where you guys think it's leaning with uh nine more months to go before the ceremony arrives uh viola yeah, no davis joke. for ma rainey's black bottom andre day gets in for united states versus billy holiday vanessa kirby pieces of a woman Frances mcdormand for nomadland and carrie mulligan for promising young woman I feel like any of those five uh, could get a shot. If anything, Vanessa Kirby, which is really funny to say because uh, for a while after that movie came out, people were like, oh my God, she's got it. But now I feel like she's fifth on that list. And, uh, and you know, it still gives a tremendous performance. Where do you guys, uh, Jake, where are you leaning in terms of Who's, I, who's I leading think that the, category?
1: The, the great showing for Promising Young Woman today, Promising Young Woman getting in for Best Picture and Best Director and Best Screenplay, mm-hmm. adds legitimacy to Carrie Mulligan. And I think, I think Carey Mulligan takes it. Okay. Uh,
0: Kev, how about you?
3: I mean, I think Carey Mulligan should win. Yeah. Um, with Andrew Day winning the Golden Globe, I, I, get, I get a little worried really? in that department. Yeah, um, that's how I, I feel I, a little bit, too. I don't necessarily feel that the Golden Globes line up with the Oscars, but I think that that changed that entire race completely um, with her winning um, the Globe because she didn't win in a musical comedy category. She won in the drama category mm-hmm. uh, at the Globe. So um, I think there's something to be said there. Now at the end of the day, Jake brings up an interesting point because a lot, all the promising young woman awards, yep. Billy Holiday is not a good movie, uh, but she's great in it. So, it's interesting. I, I just wonder if the Golden Globe win is keeping her in people's minds while they vote, um, or will the Carrie Mulligan element um, overcome? And I think I, I rewatched *Promising on Woman* the other day. It's no question out of those five performances, the best. Um, and I, I definitely think she deserves to win. I I'm a little worried about Andre Day. Uh, Andre Day uh, uh, getting in there. And again, great performance by her. But that movie is not good. <laughs> The movie is not good,
1: so sag will be very telling.
0: I could see yeah. the only thing I could see is Francis, um, and Carrie splitting a lot of votes. Oh, yeah, uh, I could see because I mean, the older academy members are probably going to go with Francis McDormand by default, right? Um, so, and the younger, more cutting edge, you know, uh, academy members coming in will probably favor. I could see them favoring <sighs> Carrie Mulligan's performance, and if that allows a third dark horse candidate to come up through the ranks. You're right. SAG will tell a lot. The Golden Globe win for for Andre Day could be really strong, and uh, yeah, I don't. Know. There's always one category where the like the year that Olivia Coleman ended up beating Glenn Close and Lady Gaga to me was a surprise. I really didn't think that she had a lot of momentum behind her, um, but this feels like a category where that potentially could happen. So uh, let's get the best director. This is a podcast that loves speaking to directors. Uh, what the hell is Thomas Vinterberg doing in this category? Okay, but, uh, you know, that's,
1: <laughs> okay, but to play hmm. devil's advocate, and granted, I have not seen that film, so I'm yep. not coming at this Same. on a personal level. Neither that being said, it's, it is the front runner to win best, foreign, uh, language. foreign language film. Okay. This is and the Mads, Mads Mikkelsen so, movie, right? Yeah, and the Mads, Mads Mikkelsen film. It's, you've probably seen, like, the iconic image, which is him, like, drinking the bottle of the champagne. That's sort yeah. of the, the image that's been circulating. <laughs> Um. The and and this isn't an, an original thought. I I saw this earlier on Twitter and thought that's really interesting. If a movie is deserving of best international feature, mm-hmm. th- by definition, we should start taking a serious look at it when it comes to director, actor, okay. picture. Yeah. Um. And so you know, it's is it random in that we just haven't seen his name a lot this award season? Yes. But if that movie is in fact the shoe in for best international feature, uh, then then. Then it shouldn't be as much of a shock to us that its director is is considered in the best director category.
0: Okay. I'll turn that back on you then. If Pete Doctor's name was in there, would you have been shocked? Yes. By your logic. Shocked. It's a cartoon.
3: No, but it's. (laughs) No,
1: no. No, I would. Here's another. But okay, you said shocked. Shocked. Would I have argued against it? No. Would I have been surprised? In the same way, I'm surprised. Uh, the, the director for the Mads, Mikkel, Mads Mikkelsen film is in yep. there, shocked, but not arguing against it. I wouldn't. I would never argue against Pete Doctor in any category. I think he's genius.
0: So of the four directors, the uh, Aaron Sorkin didn't get in. Sorkin didn't get in, which I you no. know,
3: I, I he also, didn't deserve to be in there. <laughs> it's not I, as, as it's much not as best I director. love
1: Chicago Seven. I'm not heartbroken that he didn't get in there for director, right?
3: It, uh, honestly, I mean, you guys know how I I, mean, I, I like Trial a lot, but yeah. as I've said a million times in the show, it, it would have been better if they had a better director. Um, I just And funny enough, I rewatched Molly's game recently destroys No the Chicago 7 not not even that. Even I, I actively I actively don't like Molly's game Dude there's a the scene on the bench with Costner I hate that scene Chastain is better than I any scene hate in that Chicago scene. 7 Oh, oh god <laughs> Molly's <laughs> that game is, so forced. is it's not that, even close that
1: is, it's such a better director You know, you know how, how, how Sean describes the Departed, Shonda describes The Departed as Scorsese trying to make a Scorsese film. That bench scene in Molly's Game, to me, has always come across Aaron Sorkin trying to write an Aaron Sorkin scene. I do not like Ugh. that bench scene in Molly's Game. Interesting. Interesting. Love uh, is Molly's anybody team. in
0: that category uh, beat Chloe <laughs> for No My Land. No. No. That's done, huh? We think it's, it's done. done. I love Emerald Fennell getting in. Oh, oh, me too. Woman. Me too. That's fantastic. Do you, see her, do you see her tweet? Yeah, <laughs> uh. yeah, yeah. F and a ton of use. Yeah. Kevin, do you think uh, Kev, you think someone might get my topper? You think Fincher gets in?
3: No, I think Chloe's gonna win it. Oh no, no, no. I, I don't. Uh, sorry, I don't think, you cut out, uh, Fincher. I don't think Fincher will win, but he would be the one that I would be. I, I, I could see sneak in there, maybe. All
0: right, let's wrap up this conversation by getting into uh, the best picture. We have the eight nominees that I listed at the be, uh, beginning of the show. Do either of you guys think that anything can stop Nomadland at this point? We had a long way to go before the ceremony actually happens. You know, like fortunes shift and change. I know it feels like Nomadland right now, but...
1: I mean, I, I felt like the the major, not that it has won anything yet, but the major competitor for Nomadland was Chicago 7. Okay. And Sorkin not getting that director nomination, I think kind of took a little bit of wind out of those sails because usually, you know, the, the the rule of thumb we've always talked about is... The five real contenders for best picture are the Mm -hmm. ones who were also nominated for director, Um, which means that there are only four major contenders for best because there is a director nomination whose film did not get uh, nominated for best picture. Uh, And and so the fact that (laughs) it's not in that director's race to me says that maybe Chicago 7 isn't the competitor we thought it was going to be, which leaves the race wide open for Nomadland. Have any
0: thoughts?
3: Yeah, I'm going to say Nomad Land only because I have no faith in the academy to do anything <laughs> different.
0: <laughs> yeah, it does feel like the the sort of shoe-in frontrunner safe choice right now. Um, you know, I'd love it's to such get a put safe my choice. I'd like to put some weight behind promising young woman, you know, to sort oh, of see great. If it, Oh, I'd if love it that. Generate you know, some support, but
3: one thing I will I, say and and just just one thing I will say about Nomad Land cuz I do appreciate um, the filmmaking that Chloe did in the film and, and, and the the lengths that they went to to, to incorporate Francis into that reality and for Frances McDormand to actually, you know, essentially become a method actor and live in her car. I, I'm not taking anything away from that at all. Just didn't think the final product was that brilliant. That's all. Aren't and, you a
1: little know. glad that David didn't get... A, like, there was a part of me <sighs> that thought that David Stratham was going to get a Best Supporting Actor nomination. But and he's I, the reason like, oh. why the
3: movie doesn't work for me. Like, like at the end of the day, like, like I find myself so immersed in her story. And then when he shows up, like Jake and I were saying, it just kind of like throws you out of the film. Oh, that's that guy from that movie. Like he he's such a there's a, there's only a couple of that guys that like, you know, you see that like, like the guy from Office Place who plays Milton he's in like every movie ever made he's that guy right and like so when strathern shows up it's almost i think we discussed this in the show at one point but like it's almost he's almost so that guy yeah. that you you're taken out and you go wait where do i know that guy from only oh, imdb this right in the movie still playing oh oh good night good luck oh yeah yeah i remember that okay yeah that, that's what's happening in your mind when he shows up on screen on the flip side paul racy best
1: supporting <laughs> actor oh that makes me so happy for sound of yeah. metal that's He's terrific. So good God, Sound of,
3: Sound of Metal is amazing. I'm just happy Riz Ahmed got nominated. Yeah, same, 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 same.
0: All right, so Gabe dropped a chart in the show notes, and this is really interesting to bring up because we talk about how the balance of power shifts from the major studios to the streaming services, uh, particularly when it comes to awards races and the amount of money and time and attention that the streamers are putting into uh, going after... Uh, awards worthy content to the point where they are, you know, bankrolling Martin Scorsese to make the Irishman and, and David Fincher to make bank. Uh, Netflix leads all nominations in 2020 with 35 uh, total Oscar nominations. Amazon is second with 12. That's the next closest one, 35 to 12. And then pretty the first major Amazon, studio, by the way,
3: that's pretty, yeah. that's not bad for Amazon.
0: It's a very good showing uh, yeah. three and four are major studios, Walt Disney uh, and Warner Brothers each came out with eight nominations. Now I think that's a little bit cheating by by Walt Disney because Disney acquired Fox, so they got Searchlight, and they ended up getting ah, all those Nomadland ah. uh, deals, right? So it's not like they organically produced some of these films. At least Warner Brothers is investing in films like uh, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, and you know they they got the Did Tenet get any nominations? Two, two. Effects
1: and production design? Yes, I believe that's
3: right. Which is ridiculous. But I have a question. So if Nomadland wins, is that a win for Hulu or a win
0: for Disney? Disney. I mean, I think it's a Searchlight movie, ultimately. It just got picked up for distribution through Hulu because of where theaters were. And Hulu Hulu is Disney,
4: though. Like, doesn't Hulu own the majority?
2: Oh, I think. What the
0: I think.
1: Going on? I, I could be wrong. All I could be Rose wrong. Lead back. It's, it's, me, it's like, uh, all, like Avatar and Endgame switching places. Like at the end of the day, it's it's Disney patting Disney on the back.
4: Let me clarify. I, I, I'll check. I'm fairly certain that Disney at least owns like a majority stake. That sounds Hulu, right. Because who is like a,
1: a part of the Disney Plus package? Yes. Yes. I don't I
4: mean, know if they so it completely, but
3: so they have two streaming platforms essentially. And
4: that's where they're it, that seems to be where they're putting their more adult content. Cuz what was it that just got announced for something recently just got announced for Hulu that seems like it would work on a Disney Plus, well, but it was This makes Disney's sense cuz Deadpool's on Hulu I can't remember what it was. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think oh, that's it? where they're putting their adult content versus Disney Deadpool Plus.
0: 3 is going to come to Hulu? <laughs> it's not even going to go to theaters. <laughs> All right, let's get to this week in movies. Uh, we are going to let you guys know that the first episode for the Falcon and Winter Soldier drops on this Friday. Is this Friday coming up? Friday. It's weird that we're recording this on a Monday. I'm not used to us doing this. Um, so Friday will be the first episode for Falcon and Winter Soldier. Kevin and I have seen it. Uh, Jake and Gabe have not been able to see it. So we will get into specifics about how it works and doesn't work uh, coming up. But this is a six episode season there a little bit longer this one was about 48 minutes oh wow um so it's an extension off the wandavision stuff and uh so strap in for some uh falcon and winter soldier action uh the other thing opening up this week is the courier benedict cumberbatch's film um i have not seen it you guys both have i think what'd you think of it
1: jake you take it i I liked it quite a bit actually um it was a it was uh one of those great instances where i had never seen a trailer did not know what it was about going in basically it is this idea uh, amidst the Cold War um, a, uh, a Russian man of intelligence kind of wants to defect and uh, betray his country and give some information to British intelligence that could very much prevent the Russians from uh, inching us closer to a nuclear holocaust and uh and they basically the british intelligence find this guy they know who's basically a salesman to and they convince him to go undercover in russia and or not russia the soviet union at a very scary and difficult time uh to go undercover and kind of work with this uh defector to trade secrets and trade uh you know like uh, government uh, uh details about what's going on between the two countries it is a very, uh, I don't want to say slow burn, but it is a tense film, man. You are walking on a tightrope the whole time. And it's based on a true story. It's an incredible true story. And there's a moment where Benedict Cumberbatch, who plays this salesman, basically says to his government, like, I'm a salesman. Like, I, I don't know how to do this. I don't, I don't know how to be a spy. And mm-hmm. they go, that's exactly why we need you. Because we, we can't have someone there. That's a, we need someone that, that can sell something. And you can sell this image. Like you know how to sell people on things that they don't want to buy. And we need you to do this. And and what he's able to pull off and the and, and the weight that that is upon him is astounding. it's a it's a
0: really great, great story. Does he use his Mauritanian Texan accent at all? You know, I never ended up seeing Mauritanian, so I
1: I he's a oh, you proud gotta of that
0: watch it just for the accent yeah. alone.
1: It's it's really, really bad. He is, But, but to, to his credit, <laughs> I haven't seen Mauritanian, but to his credit, he is great in The Courier.
0: Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, what? Is it on a streaming service or is it coming to theaters? What's theaters the theater? only. Only theaters. In the theater's only. only. Interesting. All right. Uh, and then a movie that we've been teasing for a very long time, which we are now going to review uh, with mild spoilers, I guess we'll say, because you're not, we're not going to break down the full four hours of it. But if you want to jump ahead to the um, blend game, because uh, you haven't yet seen... <clears throat> Zack Snyder's Justice League. Please feel free to do this. Uh, this Wait, what is, film is it? Zack Snyder's Justice League. Are you uh, sure AKA, you, you sure have the title right? The Snyder cut uh, of of Zack Snyder's Justice League. Doesn't no, ring the bell. Not, Doesn't sound familiar. Yeah, sounds familiar to um, you. Obviously, we've been talking about this for a very long time. This is the four hour cut that Zack is uh, being able to show on HBO Max because his fans fought for three long years uh, to convince Warner Brothers to let him show. This version. If you wanted the full story of um, of how the fans succeeded in doing this, I hope one day someone puts together a documentary because it feels like it's an untold story that really deserves to be out there. Uh, I'll go first and just say that um, this is a truly remarkable uh, achievement um, of 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 film and and superhero storytelling, and and I cannot believe that Zack Snyder was able to deliver this um because it's so much better than than you know even the most uh, rabid fans are expecting it to be it truly gives them everything that they were looking for uh with the version of the movie that was coming in 2017 and it's such a best case scenario for it too because even if he were able to take this footage and put it together for 2017 he would have had to reduce it down to probably two hours and 45 minutes like the studio would have ultimately had Do you him- think
1: they would have let him go that long
0: um, yeah, I think so. Because I think the theatrical cut of BVS is still two and a half. Okay. And then the ultimate edition is three hours. Yeah. So, you know, he says he makes long movies. He's not wrong. You know, we were having a discussion in Blend's offices about just the fact that the two hour mandate of the theatrical uh, window doesn't suit him. Like, His better movies are his longer cuts. He almost needs three hours just to get ramped up to what he's trying to do. I am in the
1: minority in that I prefer the theatrical cut of Watchmen to the director's cut.
0: Do you really? I I think it
1: edits together, but I think it flows better.
0: Okay. Um, and, and I will say that at four hours, I mean, this is truly the kitchen sink version. Like I'll point to scenes that I can tell you that like, yeah, I could see that you could have cut this, um, but I also really like the fact that it's in and I appreciate it. Some of them might just be like a character driven scene. Like there's a scene in the Batcave. This isn't spoilery at all, uh, where Diana is making tea and Alfred is like kind of hovering over her shoulder because he's a little bit annoyed in a very British way about how she's making the tea. <laughs> And it's adorable, like it's it's an adorable scene that, of course, if you were trying to trim it down, you'd say, all right, well, we're going to cut that scene out. But it's really character driven and it enhances who they are. And it's really fantastic. But um, I think that it's amazing that every hero gets a chance to shine. They all have uh, strong character arcs. I love how much of it is rooted in um, father, son, mother, daughter relations. There's a ton of really strong familial storylines that go through it. Um, special effects are incredible Steppenwolf is a is a better villain there's amazing dark side stuff in it uh, yeah it's everything it's everything that I think fans were wanting for and you know we'll talk about the pace of it and we'll get into all the different stuff of it but um, God, I'm just blown away I'm blown away that it's an actual thing so Jake where are you at
1: um, I, I I get giddy at the idea and I keep having to remind myself of this that we now live in a world where a great Justice League movie exists yeah like like in three days from when we're filming or when we're recording, we can press play. On, like, because like, for years we've been able to press play on the idea of, of a great Avengers movie. Like we, sure. we've existed in that world for a while now. And in fact, there are multiple great Avengers movies. But we've never lived in a world where a great Justice League movie exists. And we have that now. And that's astounding. And, and you, you, I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head. Aside from being a great film, which it absolutely is, it's also a great accomplishment. And another thing that you've pointed out, and I, I think it's fair to say... Like is it perfect? No, there are some like CGI shots where I went like probably could have left that one, but did, did that shot need to be in there? Like there's a, there's a, <laughs> there's a shot of uh, on Themiscura of uh, someone on the back, uh, someone riding a horse, and it's clearly mm-hmm. like you know that when someone when a blue screen's behind someone they're doing like the you know i like you, like, <laughs> you, like, yeah. like come on Zach like we, we like you had to have that shot in the movie you couldn't have left that part out. That being yeah. said. For a four-hour-long film, and you know what? And I gotta be honest with you, I'm sick and tired of hearing about the length of it because I have watched 90-minute films oh. that felt so long that made me want to claw my eyes out. Yes, I watched this for the most part in one, like I said, in one sitting. Aside from like maybe at a title card, pause to grab a drink, pause to run to the restroom. For the most part, you know, it's a 4 four-hour, one-minute movie. Probably took me four four hours, 20 minutes to watch it the whole thing. i have never once thought wow, this feels so long and I'm so bored. Like it is, it is, it blows. But like, I think the pacing of it is fantastic. And also just, it, 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 I want to single out uh, Ben Affleck because it really made me realize uh, almost just how much in Joss Whedon's cut in those reshoots, it felt like he didn't care anymore. Yeah. And it just felt like, I don't want to say he was phoning it in, but he was just over it. Because the, the difference in performance in Snyder's takes and Snyder's scenes mm-hmm. versus the ones we got in 2017, no pun intended, it's night and day. Yeah. Like, 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 don't, didn't you just feel like when you, like, there are so many great moments where I'm like, God, like, this is, cause, cause he was great in, in BVS, and I think he's as good, if not better, and just like he is, he sells it. He it sells was... it
0: refreshing to see yeah yeah because i yeah. truly i i'm with kevin in saying that i think he's the best batman that we've seen on screen Ever. so to get this much from him is tremendous and you're so right in terms of the pacing uh the first time that we paused it when we were watching it through i watched it with michelle who's very casual uh of a, of a fan and isn't invested in all this to the point where we were 20 minutes into it uh and she said um spider-man in this one and i said uh, and like with all adorably sure, sure, you know sure and i said no he's not going to show up in this one honey i'm sorry and uh <laughs> when we first paused it for bathroom and snack kind of thing it was two hours into the film and she was like, this has been two hours? Like, she's like, I thought this was on for 30 minutes. Isn't that astounding? And there's other moments where um, I've been lucky enough to see it three times before they turned off my link because they gave me Mortal Kombat footage and it bumped out uh, Ah, Justice League from my app. I was just
1: about to say, they gave you Mortal Kombat?
0: There were times when I would... um, Turn it on just in the background, and I would just get sucked into you know the story right off the bat, and then I would sort of pause it, and it would be like an hour and fifteen minutes into it, and I was like, oh my god, you gotta be kidding me! Like, there's still so much left to go. So, um, yeah, I'm blown away by it. Uh, you guys have each used the term masterpiece. Kev, uh, elaborate on on no, your use of the word masterpiece.
3: Yeah, no question, and I, and I'm I'm a firm believer that 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 a filmmaker can have more than one masterpiece. I know definitively but definitively by the nature of the word, it's their best. The definition has
1: changed. Mm
3: -hmm. Um but I think Tarantino has multiple masterpieces. I think Nolan has multiple masterpieces. Um what what blows my mind about this film, I mean, where do I even begin? Uh we could we could start on the on the you know, I've said this before about a lot of filmmakers, but, you know, Snyder if you think about the technical developments of what he does in terms of his filmmaking, you really start to understand that everything he does is is, is in service of the story. Um, when you go back to, like, Man of Steel, for example, and the way they filmed those sequences of Superman flying, Snyder, like, shoots it docu-style and, like, shaking the camera to a point where he wants you to feel in the audience that it's hard for the camera operator to capture this superman Mm -hmm. now they're making a movie they can capture whatever they want but they but he wants the experience to feel hard like in the sense that he wants it to feel hard to capture superman in frame Mm -hmm. um and these are all just little choices that he makes that create so much of an immersion level um and when you jump to the aspect ratio that he's done here i know we've discussed this in the show before there's something super immersive about the way he makes you look right at the center of the screen just up and down, your eyes aren't going like this, you're going like this. And it's a very interesting way to look at it because the imagery is so tall and so beautiful. There's a shot where Momoa and Affleck are walking out of that bar essentially um, mm. and they're going around the, the corner to, uh, before he gets into the water. And you really get a sense, I think it's snowing, you get a sense of the scope of how tall his, his frame is. Especially, uh, and there's a sequence where we get to see uh, Cyborg um, early in his years playing football the snow falling from the top of the frame to the bottom of the frame. It just it just creates such a world that you you really are immersed into. Um, that combined with Junkie XL's score oh. and the new themes that he brought in. I mean, he, the beauty of like Snyder's DCEU is the themes are so brilliant from a music standpoint that when he hits with them, I mean, it's just like it's all on all cylinders. So when you hit Zimmer's Man of Steel score, when you hit, uh, you know, all the themes, the Wonder Woman theme, but then even the new themes that Junkie XL brought into play here. And then Snyder is one of the greatest directors when it comes to soundtrack. There's not a single I mean, like, you know, you look at Tarantino. There are filmmakers who are genuinely gifted in using soundtrack like Nolan, Mm. for example. He's mostly score, right? All of his films are mostly very score-driven. Snyder has the ability to to jump back and forth between both, score and soundtrack. So as you watch Snyder's cut, the score that Junkie XL produced mixed in with the songs that they throw in there from a soundtrack perspective. It's all just like this beautiful work of art that's all flowing together magically. And and the beauty of this four-hour length is that you get to breathe with every single character um every character's uh motivations and family aspects about their parents and and families play into the action later as the as the team is rising together Mm -hmm. which is another reason why he has the aspect ratio tall um is you care for every individual as they are performing their act in an action scene so if they're fighting steppenwolf each one of them has a task in that fight but you care about each one sometimes when you're watching like an avengers film you don't necessarily care about every single person in the avengers i remember watching the first avengers movie i didn't really particularly care for hawkeye and then eventually they, they built hawkeye's character out and they gave him that backstory in age of ultron and then later on and hawkeye became an important character snyder basically has taken all six of these characters and made them extremely important within the world of this movie and he's continued building upon what he beautifully built in Man of Steel and BVS. And so what we're finally seeing is a continuation of those two films, finally, mm-hmm. in its proper form. And I'm, and I'm not going to sit here and deny that when the first Justice League movie came out, I liked parts of that film. I actually liked that film when it first hit because of the Snyder scenes. So looking back on it now and knowing the story behind it and knowing how it was blown up from the aspect ratio and all the scenes were done differently and shot differently, and you see this version, it it makes you question, like, what did I see in that film that I liked? And every single thing I liked in the 2017 Justice League ended up in this film. Mm -hmm. The Nightcrawler scene, the fight scene, the the, the sword tip, the, uh, you know, all these incredible, the best action scene in Justice League, in my opinion, is Henry Cavill's side eye that he gives to Flash. I love that. And that was in the 2017 cut. So I remember leaving that theater and when I, when I think back on it now, I'm like, the things I loved in that film were all Snyder's. It was mm-hmm. all Snyder's stuff.
1: Were and there so any for, scenes? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Kevin.
3: No, no, no. I mean, that's it. Really, just at the end of the day, I think this is a. Uh, it's an incredible accomplishment. Uh, it's a phenomenal storytelling. Technically brilliant. Emotionally brilliant. Um, just hit me so hard emotionally. I just couldn't believe. I can't believe that we get to see this cut of the film. This is such an extraordinary situation and an extraordinary time in, in in the industry to have this cut come out because yep. it is genuinely the movie that Snyder wanted to make. And we don't rarely get to see that unless you're Chris Nolan.
0: Well, we would make an argument um in the cinema blind offices that like the worst thing that could have happened for Zack Snyder was to have to release the Snyder cut because the way that that movie had been built up in the minds of fans, like the expectations were so high that no movie legitimately could compete with it. Like it, in fans minds his version is the most perfect version so it's blown me away that the overall consensus has been has been positive. good yeah and he, had, been really he doesn't get
3: that with his other films like man no. like i remember when, i remember when man of steel came out we were in the minority we all loved it we were in the minority when when i walked out of bvs at the screening i felt like i was the i mean again i don't want to put anyone on, on blast, but I remember uh, walking out of that screening and feeling alone <laughs> how much I loved it. Now, the theatrical is yeah. nowhere near <clears> as good <throat> as the, uni- the ultimate cut, but there's something about the way Snyder does superheroes and that grounded darkness and raw, gritty feeling of it. Mm-hmm. Like when, when Superman kills Zod in Man of Steel, it was, I thought that was one of the most incredible moments from a thematic standpoint, but also a character standpoint, to have Superman in that struggle... Similarly, if you think about it, similar to the scene when he lets his dad die, if you think about the emotion of what he's trying to uh, to battle in his head in that in that moment, um, and I think what Snyder's done so well is he's found a way to ground these people. I call them people because you know they're superheroes, but they feel like people to me. And I even mm-hmm. called them people in my interview. And I'm like, does that sound like I'm stupid? And no, I, I'm just saying that they're grounded to an emotional level. Like I actually feel like I can I can have a I I I can communicate with these people who are not human beings some of them are not. Well, so, well Snyder um, is
1: the only filmmaker who has ever tapped into to me the, the the number one thing that makes Superman interesting, which is the super the, the tragedy of Superman. And the tragedy of Superman is that you can't save everyone. Like that right. that and and you know his realization his coming to terms with that with his father to me uh you know and and then and then him coming to terms with it with all the people that grew up that blew up in Congress and Batman versus Superman. Like that's you know that You know, like you can, you can. This is a character where you can have your cake and eat it too. He can represent hope and justice in the American way, and he can also get really bummed that he can't save everybody. Like that, like there is a way to do both, and I feel like Snyder's the only one. You know, like for years we've always gotten truth, justice in the American way, but Snyder's the first filmmaker to really. Think about the fact that like he's going to be bummed. Like he could save in the same way, not that it's comparable, but in the same way we always joke about how if we get a hundred comments on a video and 99 of them are good and one person calls us out <clears> for <throat> being stupid or whatever, that's the one we're hung up on. It's the same idea where he could save a, a city, he could save all of Metropolis save for one person, and he's going to be entire forever hung up on that one person he didn't save. And that is the tragedy mm-hmm. of Superman, and that's what makes Snyder Superman worked so well. I have a question for you guys. Was there any scene in the Snyder cut that you were surprised was Snyder's and not Joss Whedon's?
0: Yeah, no. mine is uh, mine is Wonder Woman saying "Kalel, no." Yeah,
1: that surprised me. That surprised me. Mine, <laughs> mine was them on the farm. That- oh, sorry, no, oh, mine I was, mine, to was to- them. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Jake, <laughs> okay, take it away. mine was them on the farm where uh uh lois lane says you smell good you smell and good. and he says like did i not before like i i would have sworn that was a joss whedon line
3: yeah the the um cal l line is different in snyder's cut though this line you're referring to she says cal l much clearer in snyder's cut than she does if you go back and watch joss whedon's justice league yeah um when she says kal El in the moment you're talking about when Superman comes back. Yeah. Right? That's the moment you're referring to, yeah, right? Cal El, yeah. no. Listen to the difference in how she says it in Joss's movie versus Snyder's film. Now I'm not saying that the maybe it is the same shot. Just different. I take, think he maybe. fixed her audio. Or just the I think take. Snyder fixed the
0: audio. I'll still argue that it's a bad line No, I just no, it's I, not. Think, I, I think Gal I just... Gadot struggles with that line reading.
3: Weirdly enough, I lo- one of my favorite things about Snyder, and I think this happens in the MCU as well, are when the characters refer to themselves as their first names. Yeah, like their real names. Like, like when they when they call Steve Rogers like Steve, or they call um uh Bruce, or they say uh you know Victor, or is mm-hmm. Victor Cyborg's name? And I think again, it's part of the grounding nature. I also want to give a shout out to the R rating because I think it's a little bit uh, um. I I think it's a little undervalued in the sense of what people think R rating is supposed to be. I mean, like R rated R rated violence can be extreme and just over the top. But what Snyder's done here with the R rating is he's allowed his world to not be safe, if that makes sense. Like when you're in a Mm -hmm. PG 13, you're just you you know, you're not going to get certain things like blood splatter or like decapitations in a certain way. I'm not saying those things make good movies. But when you're in a world like Justice League with, with people who have powers that they have in these films, the real-life consequences of those powers on those other individuals is something I find interesting. Like, there's a scene where Steppenwolf throws somebody against a rock and the blood splatters behind that guy's head. And I'm like, that feels more realistic. I know I'm looking at a CGI character, and I know I'm looking at a, a, a fictional world where superheroes exist. But to see that type of little detail... It, it changes the scope of the film for me it completely makes the film feel more gritty and more realistic in terms of what the world would create like if aquaman is stabbing people with his trident i mean the the villains it's it, it just feels more realistic look at the wonder woman scene when she uh which was in snipe uh whedon's uh, movie as well but her initial fight sequence in that whatever it's not a bank whatever that uh
0: museum whatever it is i don't know what that building is
3: (laughs) watch the difference in the violence in that scene versus the whedon scene like oh the way that
0: that he's cocking the gun to point it at innocent kids
3: yeah i'm telling you those and again i'm not advocating violence i'm i'm just advocating the fact that when when a director is able to use an r rating in this way it makes the environment feel less safe So as an audience, you're kind of on edge going, how dark can this get? And I think that that at the end of the day, I think that was really a smart move.
0: It's funny, there was a moment in Falcon and Winter Soldier um, episode one, which is not spoiler at all, um, but um, Sam Wilson is in a scene with his sister and they're having a conversation about something and his sister kind of like punches him in the chest and he's got to go like, oh, I forgot how hard you hit, right? And it was so weird in context because I'm like, you're supposed to be a superhero. Like, (laughs) why is your sister punching you in the chest to hurt you kind of thing? And it's what you talk about. Like no one asks these questions when they're making these movies. Like someone should say to the writers when they say like, he just had an extremely like physical action sequence. You can't put that joke in there. It's not funny. Like it's in context, it's really weird. So yeah, I do understand what you're talking about with the stakes and the violence and the way things get in that. Yeah. Give me a star rating really fast. Out of five, Kevin McCarthy.
3: Five. five out and, of five and and, and, and and five out of five and again it's not that it's a perfect film it's what the film is it is yeah. an incredible incredible storyteller uh and it's just unbelievable
1: Jake you're five yeah, out of five five out of five I agreed it's not a perfect film but it's the exactly the film I wanted it to be
0: and I am, more. I am four out of five um only because like you say it's not a perfect film to me. Um, I love what it is. I think it's tremendous. It could very well make my top 10 at the end of the year when all things shake out. Um, but are there things that I point at when I say like, oh, I'd tighten that up and dude loves slow motion. Love slow motion. I love his slow motion. Dude, so yeah. that's, that's I know. That's, I know. Oh. I know.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The only thing I will say, my only biggest complaint about the film, but it didn't bother me to a point where it would hurt my rating, was there was a lot of exposition. But I was actually, in this sense, in this particular case, I was thankful for it because I don't know a ton about the dark side backstory, a ton Mm -hmm. about the Steppenwolf story. So I actually.
0: But there's a line that that made me laugh. I know. Do you know which one it is?
3: I think I know it's... I, I, is, it, is it the Mother Boxes line? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. I, I know, I know. And I think
0: like, wait, wait. Mother Boxes? <laughs>
3: <laughs> but, you know, I mean, honestly... I, I mean, think it he was... sells
1: that. Like, that... that
3: yeah, Whenever, whenever I watched it, yeah. like, I never yeah. once
0: thought, ooh,
1: that's a bad line.
3: Oh, it it's not backup laugh. Jimmy level. No, it's there, there's quite no quite way... Bad. It's nowhere near backup
0: Jimmy. All right. This uh, this week's Blend Game. We are uh, delighted to play... Uh, you talk about somebody who shows up uh, and, and you point at them and say, oh, it's that guy. Uh, hashtag Stanley Tucci blend, uh, and I will start with Kevin McCarthy. Kevin, what is your uh, choice for your favorite Stanley Tucci film? Uh, this
3: is this was a tough one for me, but I'm I'm, I'm I know this sounds crazy. but I'm going to have to go with Devil Wears Prada.
0: Okay, All right. I just no, loved him in that, that movie. Yeah, um, he's
3: terrific. And I, I, I know it's because I, I, there's so many great things that Stanley Tucci's been involved in, and when, and I say it's a strange choice because generally when you think of um, when you think of uh, that movie, you think of Meryl Streep or, or Anne, Hathaway Anne Hathaway or em- yeah. Emily Blunt, but Tucci's performance in that film just—I always loved it. I always loved his relationship with Anne Hathaway. I always loved his relationship with uh, Meryl Streep specifically. I—he lo- I, was kind of like that, the middle person. Like he was the person that like w- would because um, Anne Hathaway was going through a pretty rough uh, <laughs> experience in that situation, and, I, yeah. and I, I just loved the scenes with her and Tucci. It Just kind of emotionally grounded the film. I mean, listen, Stanley Tucci is one of the best actors working today i mean he's a brilliant performer he's done so many phenomenal roles so many amazing movies i just when i think about him particularly and maybe this is just recency effect because i spoke to him for witches and that was a that was a reunion for devil wears prada with anne hathaway and i went back and rewatched that film and it was the film that kind of stuck with me i do think one of his best performances is probably within the hunger games franchise but i just genuinely love him in devil wears prada i just think it's a great role he's a phenomenal actor he plays it perfectly that's my choice
0: but i'll tell you i'm gonna go next and i'll tell you because i'm backing up what you're saying to truly choose stanley Tucci's best part i think you have to choose something where he's not the lead because he's so much better when he shows up you know and just steals scenes and so for that reason i'm choosing easy a because easy a is Uh, it's emma stone's movie you know and she's him and clarkson
3: are so good as the parents it's so good
0: phenomenal they're so great together i mean it's they are the definition of chemistry you know like they just crackle off of each other and they're the perfect um influence on on her on her character for being as such a sarcastic sort of cynical uh teenage high schooler you know getting through (laughs) that that era yeah. And uh, God, they're just brilliant. They're they're the kinds of characters that every time they're on screen, you want them to stick around. You know, and that's what that's I think Stanley Tucci does. Yeah, I think that's what he does. And and he does it. He does it in Prada. Like he's his character. You love when his character's <laughs> in the movie because of what he's contributing. I think that's he's a tremendous part of Hunger Games because. It's not his role in any way, shape or form. But when he's there as Caesar Flickman, you're like, this guy's amazing. And that's what Tucci does. So, um, you know, we're going to get to one of his other performances that I kind of lean towards when I get to um, audience picks. But I, I had to pick one where he's a supporting player because I think that's where Stanley Tucci truly shines. And that's not a slight to his talent at all. I'm not mm-hmm. saying he can't carry a film. He absolutely can. But he seems to really shine. When the the spotlight's not on him and he can just sort of swoop in and uh, with his charisma, steal it away. So, Jake, are you keeping the trend going? Wait, before yeah. Jake
3: gives his answer, I'm curious. I actually can't think of a great leading Stanley Tucci movie. Uh,
0: well, what is, well, what's the one he just did recently? The one, with, the one we just
3: did with him and Colin Firth. Great movie, but I mean, like yeah but what is a what is a really strong great leading tucci
0: would you, sure I, I know he, he got a one. supporting
1: actor nomination but would you consider it a lead role for lovely bones where he played the serial killer
0: that's well that was the other film that i was going to say showed like his his range that's such a bad movie. he's so good but, the but performance. it's
1: such a bad movie but i yeah. think
0: even that's a mark Wahlberg, saoirse ronan yeah, yeah movie. i think you're right um so i don't know that's I'm hard. i don't I'm know curious if he has a picked. leading part yeah. I I so
1: badly have spent the last week trying to convince myself to choose Road to Perdition, but I can't do it. Because um, mm. he is great in that movie, yeah. but if you asked me to, to name the top 10 best things about that movie, like he probably wouldn't be... I didn't even know uh, he was uh, yeah. in it. Oh, he's, he's, He has a couple of great scenes with Tom mm. Hanks, where it's just mm. him him and Tom Hanks one-on-one. It's a master class of acting, the two of them in an office. Great stuff. Um but I can't do it uh, because, you know, this is about the performance and not the movie that they're in, according to Gabe. Um, but uh, I, uh, I, I'm I going to go with Kevin and choose Devil Wears Prada. Okay. So good. Because I think the fact that, look, I think it's go-to easy thing to, to say, okay, who's your favorite person in Devil Wears Prada? Like, most person would probably easily say Meryl Streep. Sure. But the fact okay. that I think there are people, myself included, that would have to Pause for a hot second and go like, Oh, but Stanley Tucci is so great in that. <laughs> the, the fact that that there's so even good. someone in contention yeah, that could compete with Meryl Streep in that movie, that can be in a scene with her and give you pause as to who's better in the scene says a lot. Um, you know, that I mean, you know, granted, Anne Hathaway is fantastic in that, Emily Blunt is fantastic in that. Um, but Stanley Tucci and Meryl Streep together in that movie. Mm. I mean, it is just one makes the other better. And, and yes, like Meryl Streep makes everyone else in the scene better. But on the flip side, and I think this is a bigger compliment, Stanley Tucci makes Meryl Streep better in that movie. And you're right, Kevin. Like that, you put it perfectly in that he is, he is the middle person. Like if Anne Hathaway is us, like the average person that doesn't yep. understand this world... And Meryl Streep is the opposite end of the spectrum, right. that world that we absolutely do not understand. He, you know, Stanley Tucci is the guide, uh, you know, that's helping us cross the river Styx into, you know, into the world of, of fashion hell, as it were. He's comforting.
3: His character yes. was comforting. Like, when he was in scenes, cause, like, just, I don't mean to cut you off, but like, with that one moment, like, as Anne Hathaway's character's going through all that stress, right? Mm-hmm. He's always the leveler. Yeah. In the scene, yeah. like even because like, remember Meryl Streep, we don't know like there's a lot going on with her character that's yeah. revealed in the end. She's struggling with certain things. Yeah. Hathaway was struggling yeah. with certain things. Tucci was kind of like the only real set yeah. character in the and, world. Like He and, uh, he was the comfort character. And a testament
1: to his acting. There, there's a scene near the end of the film where he thinks he's about to get a big promotion. Mm-hmm. and He's like prepared for it. And he's sitting at the table and he's ready for it. And Meryl Streep names someone else. And the camera cuts to Stanley Tucci and he just kind of puts his head down and he closes his eyes and he smiles. And eventually I think he says a line and I think the line is like, don't worry, like, like, she'll, she'll pay me back later. But, right. that, but how much he conveys in that look where he just sort of smiles and just kind of like, mm. you, you could make an entire movie mm. about the relationship that it, between the two of those characters that are conveyed in that, in that disappointed smile. Yep. And yep. that's not an easy thing to do. And that's something that only someone like Stanley Tucci can do.
0: I want to <clears throat> take this time to recommend Stanley Tucci's Searching for Italy uh, yes. on Hulu. Yes, 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 yes. It is. Oh, is tremendous. it on Hulu? Yes.
2: Oh, that's uh, fantastic.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's literally just every episode is Stanley Tucci in a new region of Italy, uh, charming his way through kitchens, speaking he's with. He's so charming. Uh, oh, my God. He's unbelievable. He's charming. a great interview, too. Is he really? He's a great uh, interview. Oh, you've never interviewed him. A second. Now I gotta think of whether I've ever interviewed him before. I We've gotten like him twice have. in the pandemic!
3: I still don't understand why he doesn't call that show the Hunger Games. I, I just don't. I just. I. I, I that is like, to me, is like the biggest missed opportunity of all time. I, I probably because understand. they would have sued him. Yeah. They probably would have sued I feel him like, at the I feel like they're a
1: group of lawyers going, Kevin, no.
3: Yeah. Does he at least make a joke about it at some point? Like, not they look yet. look into the no. camera and say, like, hey, Francis Lawrence or something? I don't know what they're like, doing. Does he do yeah. anything like that? Nothing.
0: No. Nothing. It's oh, really all. upsetting to me. All right. Uh, Derek Schulte, JJ Siwa, Michael Kamens, uh, Saskia, and many others went with EZA. Indy Christina said The Devil Wears Prada. Michael Reynolds said The Lovely Bones. And Anastasia said The Hunger Games. For next week, we're going to be playing hashtag Antoine Fuqua blend. Do we take take Training Day off the table? I figured this would happen. We will will still...
1: I shrugged and went like, I will just say have one aside from Training Day.
4: That's fine. I will just say, if your pick is that, have a second so we can discuss more, because he has some great films outside of that, but I get that he's one of the guys that has like a almost definitive.
0: Yeah, yeah. Almost.
4: Kevin may not feel that way, but that's
0: great.
3: I think Training Day is his best, but I'm going to give my secondary on the show. Okay. so, I, I, so I'll, I'll preface that next week. I think training day but I mean I think I'm gonna I'm gonna default that to number one yeah. and then Dude, give my
1: talking about missed opportunities, how was there not a scene in Godzilla versus Kong where Godzilla like goes King Kong ain't got shit on no. me?
3: <laughs> oh, Jesus no, I mean I don't i have no idea why Denzel didn't show up to missed do that line.
1: Opportun- no, I want
3: Godzilla to do it. Oh
0: Maybe that's what he be. was saying with some of those roars. <laughs> and the the nuclear fire belches. <laughs> Uh, send us your pick for Antoine Fuqua <laughs> blend at com. That's where you can also review us. Uh, we don't have a review exactly this week, but we got a really great message that was written that we wanted to share and then discuss. And, uh, this comes from R who said, I know this is probably a stupid email to send and has very little need. But I was compelled to send it after listening to the discussion about WandaVision and Marvel movies from the most recent episode. Now, first off, there's no such thing as a stupid email. Like, you can literally send us anything, and more than you, likely, every time I email you,
1: show. you reply back with "this is a stupid email."
0: The only <laughs> that's uh, the only the
4: only stupid email is one that's only used to to spread hate or or something terrible to say oh, something mean. As no, so long as no, you're not saying you something
1: really. mean, which are the emails that I send Sean? Which yes, are the emails that
4: Jake <laughs> sends Sean? That's
0: why I every bad you, review that
4: his book got, Jake was like, "Hey, Sean, I saw this."
1: So it's funny that like
0: you were talking about the uh, the one negative comment. Like mm-hmm. I can tell you, the book is. Thank God, the book has been really well received. I'm very very happy about that. It's but a I've great gotten, book. Like, I'm about halfway through. I've gotten two, um, not even negative, like three star reviews, yeah. and they have each said somewhat dismissive things uh, inside of them. And those are the ones that I will remember <laughs> for the rest of my life. One guy said that the book is essentially an elongated tweet. Uh, and i was like mm, that's that's so weird <laughs> that's a take that's a, and again, a, listen everyone's entitled to their opinion but like that is that line is the line that, that i not also he must he
1: must read very well written tweets on a daily
0: basis <laughs> <laughs> so, and then um on barnes and noble there's one review it's a three-star review and it kind of says like you already know all this like there's no sense in sort of reading it and the the review ends with um all in all, this is a well-written uh, book by an author who seems to know what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> that was a pretty at great. Least, way at least you seem to know what you doing. Dismiss it. Yeah, yeah. I made it this far. Uh, anyway, much like Sean, I very much agree that WandaVision is top five in Marvel projects, but I also seem to view these films a bit differently than most Marvel fans, and especially you all. I am a 26-year-old woman who has no background in reading comics or really any sort of superhero connection from childhood. I started into the superhero films and television truly with the DC television programs on the CW. What can I say? I was young, but also they aren't bad programs if you take them for what they are. And she became obsessed with the DC characters, which I still tend to lean towards. Wonder Woman is my favorite superhero film of all time. I started seeing some of the Marvel movies through airings on television, but I've never seen one of them in a theater. I found that most of the films I did see didn't really grab my attention until the age of Ultron. I'm quickly learning that most viewers apparently weren't that big of a fan of that film, but it was my favorite for a while as I was drawn to Wanda and Pietro, Aaron Taylor Johnson's version, the Evan Peters one from X-Men, just does not do it for me, and him Wanda WandaVision was the worst part of the series for me. Those were the characters that I was super interested in watching develop in the universe. I've always had some bit of hope that the superhero trope of having no one really die would bring Pietro back. I was so intrigued by how Wanda fit into the Avengers and how she could be used, as I just assumed everyone thought she was the strongest one. Though Wanda has been my favorite since her introduction, I cannot for the life of me get behind Vision as a character, which I think has something to do with me not liking Paul Bettany very much. Now, that's not fair to Paul Bettany. He's a charming man uh, who's very good in television interviews, although he does lie to press and, and send people down rabbit holes about things to discuss. Okay, during lockdown, before the premiere of WandaVision, I finally sat down and watched all of the Marvel films in their release order, and I was shocked as to how my opinions were so different. I found all the origin stories other than Black Panther, maybe also Ant-Man, but that's simply because Paul Rudd is so endearing, and almost all of the phase one just boring. The first Avengers was good, but not in the top grouping for me. I was wondering if this had to do with the fact that I saw them after the fact and wasn't a real-time consumer of films. Do you all think that those who saw these films in a the theatrical experience have a different connection than those who came to them later? For the record, my top five Marvel projects are as followed. Number one... WandaVision, number two age of ultron number three thor ragnarok four black panther and five endgame i agree she says that you can count endgame and infinity war as one film don't start that discussion but i preferred endgame to infinity war so much more that i prefer to split them up so let's have a conversation real briefly do you guys think that seeing the marvel films theatrically when they dropped Gives you a different take on them, as opposed to somebody who caught up on them after the fact when the whole thing is played out.
1: I mean, I, th- I think that's the case for any movie. I, I yeah. think the the way in which you experience the movie, the the crowd in which you experience it with, the the mood you're in, the place you're in in your life, what's going on around you, with your like there there are so many extenuating factors that. Can influence your thought on the movie that have nothing to do with the movie itself. I mean, Sean, you have that great quote, which is we we all we so often talk about how movies have changed in our in our eyes, mm-hmm. and it's and the movies don't change; it's that we change. Yeah, and so yeah, I, I mean, I don't I don't think that that's exclusive to Marvel movies. I think that's the beauty of movies is that they are a moving canvas, uh, you know, reflective of of what's going on with us.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that, and I do sort of agree that because of the way that marvel rolled their films out with with you know one story somewhat setting up the next and maybe influencing what was coming after that if you did not watch them in the in theatrical order it could be a little bit jarring you know if if a character shows up let's say you're watching thor ragnarok and you've never seen dr strange and all of a sudden dr strange shows up and thor is sort of bouncing around his house and his umbrella is turning into a a a beer and you're you'd be like what the hell is happening you know like it'd be jarring um so i kind of do get that that's why it kind of blows me away when people say like oh i haven't watched all the marvel movies but like i saw ant-man and i watched like guardians 2 uh, what other ones do I need to see? And I'm just like, dude, I don't even know where to start with you. Like, those are the. ones I mean, it's, you're it's almost the equivalent of like
1: someone saying I picked up a book and I read chapters 16 and 37. <laughs> yeah. What other chapters of the book are
0: important? Right, right, right. Yeah, that's not too, not too different. So, um, but I, that top five, pretty fascinating, and goes to show that when it comes to the MCU, um, no one's really wrong. Like, whatever works for yeah. you. Yeah, and I, it's I interesting.
3: Re- wo- go ahead, go ahead, sir. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead
4: no I was just say that I think that is interesting given the, the conversation we've had the last couple of weeks about what is the tightrope that Marvel's gonna have to walk moving mm-hmm. forward not only with a large breadth of movies in the past but now introducing television and at some point you're splitting your audience there there is some there's some, some section of your audience is watching the movies and not watching the TV shows there has yeah. to be a percentage of that and, and seeing how they're gonna balance that is interesting
0: Kev what'd you rewatch?
3: Uh, Well, I was just going to say, like, you know, because the question basically, if I'm understanding it correctly, is did experiencing the films as they rolled out, um, did that that affect the watching of it? Meaning if you watch them now, Mm -hmm. would it have the same effect? It's basically the idea, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I rewatched Endgame and Infinity War recently, and they still hit just as hard Mm -hmm. as they did when I first saw them. Um, I, I still think Infinity War is one of the most relentlessly paced and masterfully cut film I've ever seen. And every time I watch it, I, I, I feel the adrenaline rush. But I, I put on the end of Endgame the other day, prepping for the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And there's just nothing... The on-your-left line... I, I said this to Anthony Mackey. It's one of the most iconic lines in the history of movies. That mm-hmm. is iconic. Like, that is genuinely jaw-dropping. And every time I watch it, it it blows my mind. Like that whole scene Let when me... Chadwick walks out of the of the circle with uh um... That
1: sylvestri score is also killer in that moment. Oh. And that then is...
3: but hip falcon flying through and that call back to Winter Soldier.
0: Oh, it's so perfect.
3: It's just like that scene still hits me just as great as it did in the theater at the premiere it hits me the same in my living room. And the okay, Russos right. let
4: that... They let that, that scene build and that
1: yeah. on your left hits at the perfect yeah. moment. And oh, that oh, 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 shot... When, he, when he takes that shot of, like, Cap just beaten and bloodied and exhausted and he's just breathing and he's just like, oh, yeah. like, that's... That gorgeous like, shot where you see oh. the whole army and him on, mm-hmm. like, a little ridge and you're just like, I, fuck.
3: And you know, it, you're like, f-
4: Cap will do this. Cap will try to take these guys on. I <laughs> yeah. still
3: can't get over the moment when he, when he wields Thor's hammer mm-hmm. because like going back to what Whedon did in Ultron with that scene at the at the table when they're trying to lift, mm-hmm. I mean, like that scene, watching him toss the shield at Thanos and then yeah. like raise the thunder and lightning and bring it, I mean, like the cut to uh, uh, Hemsworth going, I knew it or whatever he says, like that, so to answer the question in a shorter way, I think the film still hit, just as good as they did yes first time you see them crowded theater premiere of course it's going to be a energy vibe but i actually think that those films still hold up just as good at home
0: i want to tell you too last night and i know you know a lot of times i'm the one defending endgame versus infinity war and i know the majority of people prefer infinity war but last night last night literally Peach and i were sitting on the couch watching endgame because it was on tnt And we were in the middle of it, so I watched um, Cap and Tony jump back to the military base. And I freaking love Tony with his father running into his dad. I think Downey gets to play that so perfectly.
3: Downey's Um, performance in that scene should have won him an Oscar.
0: And then you get to um, all the stuff with Nebula and how they have to go through uh, Peter Quill uh, in the beginning of Guardians. And PJ's like, I think quill is one of my favorite characters and then it's cutting back and forth like we got to see cap versus cap and that is america's ass like there's so many incredible incredible moments in endgame that i know most people single out the last hour and a half and, and you should like that's the part that's like dreams dude, dreams are coming true that's
1: okay not to get into a debate about endgame but that's my issue with endgame is that it's a bunch of incredible moments it's not an incredible film
0: oh, that's what dude. a movie is no, an incredible really film is is a, is a, is, a, is
1: a connected uh, also, connected it's tissue connected that makes tissue. it one great big
3: Can we say how incredible the opening of Endgame is? Just opening on that family farm shot. Oh, um, god. And, and, oh, it's, oh, it's wonderful. wonderful. God. Yes. It's like that whole movie. Like again, just uh, I rewatched it the other day. It's so good.
0: Yeah, it's phenomenal. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um for our next premium episode, for people who uh subscribe to the premium episode, we're gonna let you guys know that we're gonna be playing a fun one where we're gonna debate which one is better, JJ's Star Wars films or JJ's Star Trek films. It's a conversation we've had in the Ribland uh chat often, and I think you guys will be surprised where you're gonna go. Also uh keep an eye out for a bonus episode that's gonna be running this week we have a director the director of a tom petty documentary that's going to south by southwest the title of the film is tom petty somewhere you uh feel somewhere you feel free and it's about the recording of his wildflowers album i'm a big tom petty fan I love behind-the-scenes music documentaries. Got to sit down with this filmmaker. Uh, I thought we had a really fun conversation. You guys will be able to see it as a bonus episode that's going to drop this week. Uh, In the meantime, we'll be back with a brand new episode next week, and you can follow us on social media until we get to that point. At Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, and at Sean uh, Sean underscore O'Connell. Make sure you go watch Zack Snyder's Justice League. Keep it on repeat in the background so HBO Max gives him the ability to go tell more stories in the DCEU. And until next week... Hubie. Do you think Snyder has seen Hubie? I think he loves it.
2: As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming.